I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at the last part of the chapter. And what a great day. Palm Sunday. Is that what the day is today? Palm Sunday? Uh, what a great day. We celebrate Jesus, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He just had raised uh, Lazarus from the dead some days before, and now he was coming into Jerusalem. The people are praising his name. The people are waving palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You can read about it in the Gospels. You can read in John chapter 12 that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, aren't too happy about it. They turn to each other and say, hey, look what's happening. The whole world is going after this Jesus. They're mad because Jesus is taking the limelight. Jesus is Uh, in their minds, a blasphemer, and he's a dangerous person, and the people are cheering him, the people are, are, are worshiping him as the king comes into Jerusalem. What a victorious day that is. You know, there's a lot of parallels between Hebrews chapter 11 and the Easter week. Hebrews chapter 11 starts out by talking about people who have been commended for their faith. It's called the hall of fame of faithful people, or the hall of faith. And uh, last week, that's what uh, Tim talked about. All these people that God had worked in their life and uh, just they demonstrated faith and victorious things that you see all throughout that time. Just a great thing to be a part of. Can you imagine being part of uh, the hall of faith? Your name's listed in Hebrews chapter 11. It's amazing. But then Easter changes. Easter changes uh, come Thursday uh, where Jesus is with his disciples, with his closest friends, And how about a little audience participation? One of Jesus' friends betrays him. His name was Judas. And then later on, one of his even closest friends denies that he even knows Jesus. His name was Peter. And uh, he is arrested. He is put on trial. He is taken to the cross. He's taken to a hill just outside the city of Jerusalem called Golgotha, where he's crucified as a criminal between two other thieves. The, lives of Je- the life of Jesus of Nazareth, the miraculous things he did, the promises of God that he talked about, the way of life that he promised, declaring that he was the way, the truth, and the life, it all came to an end on a Good Friday. But we know that that wasn't the end of the story. We know that that had to happen. We know that, that it was for our good that Good Friday happened. And we, we know that it was actually for the joy set before Jesus, he said. He endured the cross and suffered its shame And so it was a victory, even though by the world standards it it wasn't uh, very victorious. That's the end of chapter 11 of Hebrews. The last five verses, where there are other people listed, people who suffered, people who were tortured, people who were mocked, people who were killed for their faith. They're still in the hall of faith, of fame, but they're there and they suffered greatly. They suffered misery, but they were also victorious, even though it didn't look like that. To the rest of the world. So let me pray and uh, ask the, the Lord once again to teach us this morning. God, we thank you for your word today. I ask again that you would be our teacher, Lord, that you would give a word for the people that are sitting here right now. Thank you for speaking to me in my heart today. That you would, Holy Spirit, through your power, come and convict us of sin, gift us and grant us repentance. And let us walk in the joy that you provide as we leave this place today. Fired up to love you and live for you and because you've loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start here. Number one, some roads of faith lead to victory. This, this is the whole 
beginning part of Hebrews chapter 11. You remember the end of chapter 10, the writer is writing to these first century Jewish Christians, and he's saying to them, don't shrink back in fear. No, press forward in faith and preserve your own souls. These were Christians who were tempted to go back to their old way of life, to go back to the old system, the old covenant, and to reject Jesus and not follow Him any longer because they were being persecuted. They were facing hardships and turmoil because of their faith. And they were tempted to go back and to shrink back. And the writer says, no, this isn't who we are. Press forward on into faith. And then he gives an example of people who have lived this life of faith. And it's just a glorious examples of victory after victory of people who lived with, their, with faith in God and, and experienced these great victories. Now, one note uh, for the rest of the notes this morning. I'm going to be talking about this roads of faith, these various roads of faith. I just want to clarify what I mean by that. I mean uh, roads of Christian faith, okay? I don't mean roads of any kind of faith. You know, I, we're not universalists. We don't believe that God's like at the top of the mountain and there's a whole bunch of paths up the mountain and it doesn't matter which one you choose as long as you have faith. We're going to all get up there somehow, whether it's faith in, in Muhammad, whether it's faith in uh, uh, Buddha, whether it's faith in yourself even. It doesn't matter. You're going to all make it up the hill and the mountain to God. No, that's not true. We know that's not true because Jesus said it was, wasn't true. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, he said. Acts 4.12 says, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus that saves. So when I say roads of faith, I just mean um, different paths that Christians experience in life. Some of us get to experience victories. And those are awesome to experience. I love winners. I want to be, who wants to be a winner here today? We all want to be a winner, right? It's great to win. Here's a big list of uh, winners. Now, the writer of Hebrews has gone to great lengths to tell us that Jesus is the only way, that he is the only path to victory. He says that Jesus is better than the angels, chapter 1. He said Jesus is greater than Moses, chapter 3. He said Jesus is our great high priest, chapters 4 and 5. And not only that, he's better than any high priest because he is our great high priest of the new covenant, chapters 8, 9, and 10. And so have faith in this Jesus because he's better than anything you've ever experienced and you can't even go back to the past because Jesus has fulfilled the past. He's the point of the past. The reason why anything in the past had any power whatsoever is because it pointed forward to Jesus who is the best ever. Jesus is the greatest ever. That's our sermon series. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Yeah. So the old covenant and the old ways that they were tempted to go back to, they were tempted to go back to the old sacrificial system. The Day of Atonement happened once a year. The, the priest would come, bring two goats. God would direct which one would be used for which sacrifice. And he'd take one of them, he'd slaughter it and take the blood and go into the Holy of Holies and put it on the mercy seat to put it in the Holy of Holies, spread the blood as a propitiation for the people's sin. Propitiation means that's blood was a payment to God for their sin. That blood satisfied the wrath of God, which rightly would come upon the people's sin. It was the propitiation. Then the other goat was taken, and the priest would take and put his hands on him. 
And he would confess the sins of the people to the, onto the goat. And then the goat would be set free and put out of the camp, gone forever. It's expiation. It's symbolic of the people's sins laid on this sacrificial goat. And it is gone. The people's sin is removed. Now the writer of Hebrews saying, Jesus is both of these. Jesus is our propitiation. He gave his blood for your sin and my sin, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Why? Because Jesus' blood paid for your sin. And it satisfied the wrath of God. But not only was it his propitiation, it was also expiation. Jesus' death on the cross also removed our sin as far as the east is from the west so that when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of the Messiah, the Lamb of God. Amen? And that's a glorious promise that we have in Jesus Christ that he is the greatest ever. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, how can you, how can you go back to that old way? Old way doesn't even exist anymore. Then Hebrews 11 gives us these great examples of people who live by faith in God. Abel, uh, Noah, uh, Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Rahab. The whole list from last week that you looked at. Great examples of people who had faith and what an incredible list. Then look at verse 32. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Anybody give a wild guess of what Old Testament man is being talked about here? Stop the mouths of lions? Daniel, Daniel's awesome, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Listen to that great victorious list. If you're one of those people that got to experience that, what an amazing thing to experience. I like the putting foreign armies to flight. It's like a, one man going out against a huge army and, and in power, the army running away from the person that's fighting. Resurrection from the dead. Some women receiving back their resurrection. These are the great glorious prophets of old. Great victories. I mean, that's in our DNA. We, we like winners. We want to be winners. Uh, our culture reflects that too. I thought of three great movies that I love. And uh, they're not perfect movies, okay? So there might be some parts in there that aren't the best, okay? So don't, but I, I want to see if you know of these movies. They're about winners. Okay, so let me show you a picture, and then let's hear what movie you think it is. What about this picture? The Karate Kid. Oh, what a great Danielson. What a great victor that is. There it is. Trained up by Miyagi. Went to the tournament, the tournament, and won it. Awesome. How about this picture? Rocky what? Rocky Four. That is obviously Rocky Four. There it is. David versus Goliath. America versus Russia. Capitalism versus communism. Oh, it had it all. Loved that one. Loved that movie. And he won. You better believe Rocky Balboa won. He beat that Russian to a bloody pulp. And then uh, the, the last one. How about the, anybody know what this is from? The first service didn't get this. 
Star Wars, which Star Wars? Return of the Jedi. And that is the uh, Death Star exploding at the end. You know that? Some of you Star Wars fans, you didn't like my description of that. So specifically, Luke Skywalker fires two proton torpedoes from his X-Wing fighter without computer-aided targeting into a two-meter-wide thermal exhaust port, which leads to a shaft that goes directly to the reactor system, starting a chain reaction that destroys the entire space station. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, great. Now, here's the point of all this. It's kind of fun. Um, The point is uh, those movies would not have worked if... There wasn't that victory at the end. If the Death Star would have successfully defended itself against uh, Luke Skywalker and uh, dominated the, the, the universe, the galaxies, uh, that wouldn't have been good. If Rocky would have, on Christmas, uh, lost at the hand of, uh, of the giant Russian Ivan Drago, that would not have been good. If uh, Karate Kid would have made it all the way to the final and only to have uh, uh, Johnny uh, kick him in the face, and he's flat on his face, out cold, and no Miyagi tricks can bring him back, that wouldn't have sold many tickets, would it? It's because we like winners. We like the victories. And we can rejoice in these great victories of, uh, of Hebrews chapter 11. But come on now, how many, we know, how many of us know that this isn't life all the time? And that's where it changes. It is point number two. Other roads of faith lead to misery. Other roads lead to misery. Now, maybe you've been around some Christians who say, you know, if you have faith, and if it's real faith, and if it's strong faith, you won't be miserable. As a matter of fact, you'll be prosperous. You'll be wealthy. You'll be healthy. Your relationships will flourish. You might have some bad times, but man, you're going to experience the mountaintop experience of following God. You will receive the blessing of God. And here, I'm here to say right now that that's true. You will receive the blessing of God. But here's what's not true, that it's going to look like victory in every circumstance. No, it might not. You might be poor. You might have cancer for the rest of your life. Your relationships might be terrible, but you know what? Jesus is enough even in that time. And then we come to 35, second part of it. Listen to the turn here now from victory to, some would say, misery. Some were tortured, refusing to, suffer, to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed to the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Some of them were tortured. You know, what could have come to the mind of the original audience of this sermon that was preached could have been um, some Jewish people uh, that we read about in an apocryphal book called the Book of Maccabees. 2 Maccabees chapters 6 and 7, it's, it's, it's written during the intertestamental period. So that when the Old Testament ended and the New Testament started, that chunk of time right there, very active time in history. The, the, uh, the nation of Israel was overrun by Rome, Roman Empire. And in 2 Maccabees chapter 6, we read about an old woman who 
was ordered to eat food that was sacrificed to an idol. That's against God's law. That's against what they knew to be true. That's, that's idolatry. It's, it's terrible. And the woman refused to do it. She refused to give up her faith. And so they brought her seven sons before her, one by one, and tortured and killed them. And she refused to recant her faith in God. This is what would have come to the mind of these early Christians who have heard this somewhere tortured. They say, oh yeah, remember that old woman. Also in that book, 2 Maccabees, we read about a guy named um, Eleazar. Eleazar was tortured and he suffered persecution under a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. He was the guy that took a pig and sacrificed the pig in the Holy of Holies. And he was making Eleazar suffer and, and die. And, and I want to read you a quote, what he's recorded as saying. Now, this isn't Scripture, but this is what history says. As he was being beaten and tortured, he was being put to death, and he said this to the very men that were killing him. Quote, I might for the present avoid man's punishment, but alive or dead I shall never escape the hand of the Almighty. You can do what you will with me, And if I'm not faithful, I may live another day. I may escape your hand, but I will never escape the hand of Almighty God. So kill away. I've got a better home coming. Some are tortured. Some were, listen to the other words, mocked, flogged, chains, imprisoned, stoned, Sawn in two. Could this be a reference to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah? We don't know for sure. One of the Jewish writings of that time was called the martyrdom of prophet Isaiah. It tells us the story of what happened at the end of Isaiah's life. The evil king Manasseh, he was tired about hearing about God's kingdom. He was tired of Isaiah telling the people to come back to repentance. So he took Isaiah and he cut him into pieces before a group of people. The writing recounts that Isaiah, quote, neither cried aloud nor wept, but his lips spoke with the Holy Spirit until he was sawn in two. I don't know if it's exactly what happened. It isn't Scripture. But this is the kind of suffering that these people experience. This is terrible. It's miserable. And yet, even in that, they were victorious. The road of faith sometimes takes us down the path that can be miserable by all accounts. Now, we live in a day of persecution, too, as Christians. I mean, I I read that list, and I I see maybe one thing on there that I've experienced, okay? And not even that bad. You know, mocking. Mocking. Maybe I've experienced mocking, but not that big of a deal. But, But we don't let that fool you that our day and age in which we live is a great day of persecution. In the past 100 years, this is true, get this, in the past 100 years there have been more persecutions, tortures, and murders in the past hundred years than there was in the 1900 years previously combined. So we live in a day of great anguish and misery and people being murdered for the name of Christ. I read this. 
Some, through faith, experienced victories of another kind. They suffered all kinds of evil and even martyrdom, but these were only apparent defeats. In actuality, they were triumphs of faith, faith expressed in the faithfulness of total commitment. It is of great importance for the readers and for all Christians to understand that the life of faith does not always involve success by the world's standards. The faithful person does not always experience deliverance. Faith and suffering are not incompatible. Faith, however, sanctifies suffering, and there is in the midst of an apparent defeat the appropriation of the promise of the future. So what road are you on today? How's your life going? My prediction, and I'm not a prophet, but my prediction to you is that you will be on both roads at some point or another. Which one are you on? So here's my encouragement, and here's the application. The final point, all roads of faith lead to glory. Look at verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. These people lived a life of faith, a commendable life, but they didn't receive that which was promised, or literally you could say they didn't receive the promise, the promise. The whole book of Hebrews is talking about this promise. And it's slightly different in different parts. The promise was for Abraham, that he would have someone to carry on his line, that he would become a great nation. The promise was for the, the nation, that they would receive the promised land that they were going to go to. The promise was for all Christians, that we would receive an inheritance from God, an, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. There's a promise of a day that is yet to come in Christ that we hold on to despite any sufferings, despite any misery that we might experience. There's a greater thing ahead. There's a greater promise that is yet to come. And we the text says, are better off than them. Why? How are we better off than them? Two reasons. First, we got to see their example, and it gets to speak to us today. We get to see how they were faithful, even though they were sawn in two, that they were tortured. They refused to accept release. They could have got out of it. They said, no, I'm not going to do it because I know of a better resurrection that is yet to come. Did you see that? Now, what's a better resurrection that is yet to come? Well, Jesus said, in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, that there's going to be some who are resurrected to life, but there's others who are resurrected to judgment. That just sends shivers down our spine. All of you are immortal. All of you are going to live forever. The question is, how are you going to be resurrected? To judgment or to life? So it's better for us as we get to see their example. And it's also better for us because we've seen Jesus. We've seen the promised Messiah. These people who suffered these things, it was promised to them, but it hadn't come around yet. It hadn't come true. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading the Scriptures, I'm back here and I'm like, man, if I could have seen this, that would have been awesome. Or man, if I could have experienced this, it would be incredible then I wouldn't have any doubts if I could have done this. But you know what? We live in like the best time. The best day and age. Why? Because we can look back and we see the Messiah. We see Jesus. His life. His ministry. The miracles that He made. The death on the cross for us. For you and me. 
The empty tomb, he rose from the grave, and and history was forever changed 2,000 years ago because the Messiah, God in the flesh, has come. What are you going to do with Jesus? All roads of faith lead to glory. Whether you're on the road of victory right now and, and you're just rolling and loving life, or whether you're facing misery that life can bring. Now, the last couple points here of this promise, I just want to reiterate what this promise details for us because we live in the already but not yet, theologians would say. All right, so there's some promises that are already ours, but there's some promises that are yet to come. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He says that we, in some ways, we already are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. We are, we are already there, but we're not, Right? It's already, but not yet. And we still have to live in this life of sin and evil and and death. But there's a coming a day of glory. And it will be glorious. If I died right now, it would be glorious for me. It would be uncomfortable for you because the pastor just dropped dead right in front of everybody. But it would be glorious for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. I'd be in the presence of Jesus. I'd be with those in my family and friends who have gone before me. I'd be in the the great congregation of the redeemed. My body would fall to the ground and you'd dress it up and put it in the ground, but I'd be rejoicing. You just would be burying the shell. But there's a day coming, and maybe it's this afternoon, maybe I don't have to drop dead. There's a day coming when Jesus is going to return again, and the dead in Christ will be raised in resurrected bodies where we will all rule and reign with Jesus Christ on the throne just down the road in a real new heavens, a new earth. It's not some ghostly thing that's floating off in the air. It's more real than even now. It's God with his people to rule and reign. And that's the glorious promise that you have in Christ. But what about now, you say? I, I, I love the part about heaven. But man, that doesn't really help me right now in the thing that I'm going through. I know. It's been a hard year. Before the pandemic started, three months before it, my older sister contracted the West Nile virus. And uh, the West Nile virus doesn't present a problem to most people. They don't even realize that they have it. There's a handful of people, once you get it, it, it is difficult and there's symptoms to deal with but then a very small number of people uh, it attacks their brain and that's what happened to my sister and uh, our family got the call that she had been taken to the hospital and uh, she just went downhill fast and stopped talking and stopped eating and stopped walking stopped recognizing people stopped being aware my parents got down there to visit her before they went in the room, the doctor met, the neurosurgeon met with, with them and said, uh, um, what you see her like right now, she might get worse, but she will never get better. And she was in a vegetative state. And they visited her, come home, miserable, sad. And then the pandemic strikes, and then you can't visit her. Months and months and months of no contact. But you know what? God started to do something miraculous started to stir in her mind and heal her and touch her and bring her out of it. So much so that she started talking and walking and eating and remembering who she was. And uh, it was great. Praise God. It's awesome. 
And uh, yeah. So last week, um, my brother and I flew down uh, to Louisiana and rented a car, loaded her up, and brought her back here so she could be around our family in an assisted living uh, place. And she's getting better, although she's got a long ways to go. But here's the thing. In that misery, and even now, the hope is, the hope of glory that all roads lead to glory is what I have faith in. I have faith in God Almighty that He will heal her totally, completely, and fully. Whether it's this year or next year or in glory, there's coming a day where she will be made whole. And that's the promise that I hold on to even in the midst of the misery of the battle. And that's what we all got to hold on to in the terrible times of life, the promises of God in those things, even if they're not to come true right now, but, but they're coming true sometime. It's already, but not yet. Let me give you three promises as we close today that we experience from God, three powerful promises of God. First one is we experience God's presence. We experience God's presence. Psalm 46 says, God is my refuge and strength and never-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. God is with you, my friends, in anything that you face, in any trial, in any temptation, in any difficulty, God is there. You may feel Him, you may not, but you know His presence is there. I know that you've experienced uh, a death of someone to, to COVID here even this past week. We have a, a man named Henry Garza who about getting close to five months ago went into intensive care and he's still there. And he was our drummer and he's uh, just started our, being our youth director. Awesome guy. And, uh, and, and I'd go visit him on Fridays down at Northwestern downtown. And just this fr- past Friday, I told him, I said, you know, everybody's so blown away by your testimony and faith and how you got a smile on your face and how you're battling and and you're doing well it's just amazing and he said and he can't really talk because the ventilator that goes through his throat but he says it's all god it's all god and he feels god's presence in that room and we prayed and we talked about the psalms and and he has a smile on his face how because god's with him second promise is that we enjoy god's provision We enjoy God's provision. As a believer, if you trust in Jesus as the way and truth in life, you have his provision, which is peace. It's protection in all times of life. No matter what happens to you, you're going to be protected. But you said, how how am I being protected if I'm sawn in half? How am I protected if if I'm uh, tortured or, or flogged or mocked? Here's how you're protected. Nothing happens to you that hasn't been ordained by the God who loves you. God Almighty Himself said that all things will work together for your good. He didn't say for your comfort. He said for your good. So whatever you're facing, no matter how miserable, on the outside, know that God Almighty has ordained it for your good. I know that's hard to to accept when you're in the midst of the misery. But that's why you pray that, God, you would be our provision. Remind us of that. And the last one is we enter into God's perfection. Since God has provided something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They didn't get to be made perfect, and then us. We all get it together in the glory that's to come. No sin, no more crying, 
no more pain. Why? Because we are God's people. Let me read for you a description of the people of God from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Are you on that path, the resurrection of life today? The question is, do you have faith in the Son? There was a man and a son who lived together. Mom had died some years before. They were very close, and they liked to have a a certain hobby to do together, and what that became was art. They liked to collect art. They were well-to-do, they were wealthy, and they would collect paintings and drawings and great pieces of art. People in the community knew about them. They had hundreds of great works of art, Rembrandt, Picasso. Well, the son got called into war, Vietnam War, And he went and served, and in his service, he was killed. He was shot in action, um, and he was killed. He actually saved uh, a fellow soldier's life. The father heard that his son had perished, and he was devastated, heartbroken. And after the war ended, the man whom his life was saved by the son came to the father, came to the front door and said, you don't know me, but your son saved my life. And I'm no artist, but I painted this picture of your son. And he gave him the painting that he had. The father, he looked at it, and he just cried. He could see his son in that painting. A little while later, the the father died, and there was a great estate auction to be held. And the auctioneer started off with all these great works to be auctioned off and said, The first one to bid is this picture, this painting, and it was the one of the sun. Nobody bid anything. It's a hundred bucks, nothing. Nobody bid anything. Somebody from the back said, let's get on with it. Let's get to the, the real thing, the real pieces of art. Anybody, $50, nothing. The crowd's starting to get restless here. There's millions of dollars worth of art, and there's unknown picture of this unknown painter and the, and the whoever this is. Finally, somebody from the back, just out of compassion, he had known the family. He actually gardened for the family. He was a gardener. He said, I don't have any money, but I'll uh, bid $10 for the picture. He said, does anybody give 20? Nothing. Going once, going twice, sold to the man in back for $10. Then the auctioneer kind of stepped back and he said, by order of the owner of the estate, this auction is over. Whoever bid for the son gets the whole collection, he said. Whoever gets the son gets it all. You get glory to come, absolutely. There's a day coming 
You can't even imagine the things that God has prepared. No mind is conceived of the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But you also receive strength for today and his presence and his provision in any situation that you find yourself in, whether you're on the path to victory or you're on the path to misery, both paths lead to glory in Jesus Christ. Whoever has the Son gets everything. Do you have the Son?